You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, welcome to the Long Form. Wow, that's a loud dog over there. That's a <laughs> that's a breathy dog. Welcome to the Long Form Podcast. Wow, Reba is uh, riled up for 2015. Reba is excited for the new year. Yeah, she's 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 she heard about the sponsors and the guests we have coming up, and she's wild. Uh, welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Aaron Lammer here with my co-host Max Linsky and Evan Ratliff. Good morning, fellas. Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, been it's exciting. Year, 2015. Evan, you look like you woke up in like a dryer. <laughs> <laughs> the first day of the new year is always the most difficult, right? Yeah, it was hard getting out of bed today. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I've been, uh, I've been, uh, I've been sleeping. I, I'm, I'm like so stocked up now. I could just you, go you for like three days. Yeah, I, I did. I, I bought the, uh, oh, thanks. Uh, this is an unpaid, unpaid <laughs> plug. Unpaid. Good people, good people over there at EA. Uh, who usually supply us with the uh, the video games for the the, fo- the FIFA soccer? Uh, sent me the Dragon Age video game, which I've just been playing like twelve hours a day. So thanks to EA. Did you beat it? Oh, I'm I, I'm like in the like first level still. <laughs> I have like a hundred hours left. <laughs> uh, when you're not when you're not playing that video game. Who were you talking to? I talked to Nicholas Carlson um, from Business Insider. Um, you probably have seen if you, if you know his name he's written these like really really deeply researched pay, uh pieces about I think he's covered pretty much all of the tech giants he he recently had a actually a Times magazine cover story about um Marissa Meyer and Yahoo um which is actually adapted from his book and he's also covered uh Facebook and and Apple and Google and, and uh, AOL that Tim Armstrong piece oh, yeah. is amazing. Yes, actually, I, the that that was the one I was thinking of was the the AOL one. And he's, um, I I think his writing is really interesting because I don't understand how anyone talks to him within these companies. Like I feel like just being seen in his presence would be grounds for being fired. But I wouldn't say his stories are praising or hit pieces. They walk this fine line and really. Um, get you deep into how these companies work from a from a business and, and a creative level. All right. Balanced journalism. Balanced. Who would have thunk it? Hey. Hey. Uh, it's 2015. I believe we have some new sponsors. In 2015, yes. we have one specific new sponsor. Linda.com. That's Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com. Um, Linda.com is a place where you can go for training videos, uh, 
they're really well done. You can learn anything from HTML to CSS to uh, how to podcast with GarageBand. Uh, pretty much if there's any skill that you're looking to pick up on a computer in 2015, um, you've got a New Year's resolution uh, to finally make that personal site for your photography, what have you. Uh, I really recommend lynda.com as a place to do it. Uh, you can get a free 10-day trial, which gives you access to all of their videos by going to lynda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash longform. Unlimited access, even on the iPhone, Android, wherever. Go check it out. If you don't want to learn how to build a website, just want to make it super easy. You can use Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched the latest version of their platform. It's called Squarespace 7. It's completely redesigned. It's uh, way simpler to use. You've got Getty Images and Google Apps. There's 15 new templates. They've got an incredible new feature called Cover Pages. You can go try the new Squarespace right now, squarespace.com. Use the code LONGFORM at checkout. You'll get 10% off. Let's say you, you make a website, whatever means you might choose to make it. Either way. And then you got a website, then you're maybe producing some work, maybe you're blogging, and then you want to tell people about it. What would you do? You got to make an email newsletter. It's 2015. It's not 2000. You got wow. an email newsletter. That's <laughs> yeah. how people do it now. And uh, you should use Tiny Letter. It's made by MailChimp. Everybody who makes an email newsletter, as far as I can tell, is using it as they should. And we thank them for their sponsorship. Wow. Evan, did you take the lynda.com course in pitching? Because you are. <laughs> A new man. One of my resolutions for the new year yeah. is to be a stronger participant. Did you go to pitch in camp? This part of the podcast. Wow. Thanks. Wow, you were really true. thinking about that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no see see well, how I did it right there? Yeah, yeah that was good. You're you're uh it's been yeah. a good it's been a good break for you, I think. Yeah. Here's Aaron and Nick Carlson. Welcome, Nicholas Carlson. Hello. Hi. Uh, where, where are you coming from? I just came from work, Business Insider. So you tend to focus on these like sprawling, massive uh, stories that are kind of like the rise and fall of an entire company, but you're actually at Business Insider day to day, sitting at a desk. That's right. Yeah, it's a day job. I've been there six years. Six years. Wow. Okay. So I know that you also will do, you know, nine reasons why this stock is uh, not quite that, but you you, yeah. you mix it in with some shorter stuff. What did you get hired as six years ago at Business Insider? So I was at Valley Wag back when Owen Thomas was the editor, and then 2008 came. So Valley Wag, for people listening, is uh, Gawker Media's Silicon Valley... Silicon Valley Gossip Rag. Gossip Rag, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's what it's called back then. Yeah. I was the Alley Wag for Valley Wag. Okay. Because it was Silicon Alley, which is just the worst pun ever. What is that, like 23rd Street kind of? Exactly. I mean, I, I think it's just the New York name of the tech scene that came around basically back in the 90s. Uh, anyway, so yeah, I was the alleyway. So did you have like an ambition to become a technology reporter? No. Oh. Well, no. Like, what were, like what, what were you thinking you were going yeah, to move to New York? New York? I, in college, I did a lot of writing. I did a lot of writing in high school. And I was going to become a world-famous short story writer. Yes. And novelist. It's not and, too late. Right. Still on the way. Uh, no, no. But I, I I, was going to write short stories at night and the, or in the morning, very early in the morning, and have a day job. Ah. And so out of school, I went to Merrill Lynch, and I was a client associate, which is like a nice-sounding name for a, a glorified secretary. I did a lot of helping people roll over their 401ks, and I hated it. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... Is this the kind of like uh, we've had um, Kevin Roos on this show, mm. and he did the he did the book that's kind of like 
you know, a year in the life of a um, Goldman Sachs first year or right. whatever. Uh, are, is, is it like a cutthroat kind of job? Uh, no. So those guys, I think, are making, um, I'm just guessing, you know, I, have, I don't know. 200000 right, a year. Yeah, I was making thirty three. Oh, so, wow. no, no, this was like a, you had to have a you had to have a high school degree to have this job. And by the way, there are people who do this job and are great at it. Yeah, I just it wasn't really for me. I was surrounded by people who just had different, not bad, but just different interests than I had. And I was like, how am I ever going to make friends in New York? <laughs> it was just very different. And I kind of quickly realized that to write, I just for good or bad, I need to be incentivized by money. Yeah. You know, I just asked to be a job. I can't do things on spec. Not really. I'm not not good at that. And so um, I went out and I applied for as many journalism jobs as I could find on journalismjobs.com and Media Bistro. And I just cold emailed 200 or so. So did you have any journalism experience at this point? No, I mean, I wrote a column for my college newspaper. Okay. So good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was the column? Uh, the column was just the thoughts. Uh, I think, what did I call it? I can't even remember. I, it was, but it's just on like how hard it is to date at Davidson, or that's where I went to school. So you had no journalism experience. None. You went on journalismjobs.com, which is the logical move yeah. when you have no journalism experience. And like out of two hundred, out of all those applications, how many interviews did you? get? I got two interviews. Oh wow! Uh, oh yeah, one was with uh, Chain Store Age, and it was a magazine that covers chain stores. And they, one of the interview questions is, what do you think about Walmart? And the answer, the answer, the right answer for them was Walmart's an amazing company and, you know, they're doing incredible things. But anyway, I did a writing test for them. And ultimately the editor in chief said that, you know, I just didn't have a journalism degree so she couldn't hire me. And that, that job would have paid $25,000 a year. So, and I would have taken it. Uh, and then the second interview I got was at internetnews.com. And that's how sort of I started writing about technology. It was the place that was internet hiring. i'm not familiar with internet news yeah, no, i feel no like internet.news.com okay. is like in a, in a movie you're, you're like the version of you in the movie works at internetnews.com yeah. it's also i think kind of ballsy to have internet in the name of your website well, it's, a, it's very it's a very dot com on the nose name what is internet news i'm almost inclined to sort of pull up the browser here and look at <laughs> what wonder, what internetnews.com uh, is up to. I so what, it, what were your responsibilities right, at so, Internet News? So it was kind of, okay, so Internet News actually, Internet News. Does, it, does it have a dash between Internet and News? It does not. It's okay. just Internet News. That would be, I would feel like that would be even better if it was internet-news.com. <laughs> well, you can tell it's old because you have to say .com when you say the name. Oh, yeah, look at that. There it's, it is, but it's it looked like, different. It was more gray and smaller. You're saying that this is post-redesigned Internet yes, News? Yes, that is wow. redesigned internetnews.com. I usually don't like to insult publishers on here, but <laughs> well, see, it's real time IT news, and so this is a true, a true, true business to business publication. It is news for IT managers. Okay, so, so it is for those people, and they serve, they sell ads against yes. that, and those people make all the buying decisions about. Which... This probably actually gets they probably get like crazy good ad premiums on exactly. this. This actually is probably a, a very good business. It was a, it was a, yeah, I mean, they got, they got like $100 CPMs or something, which anybody out there who knows the ad market knows that's crazy high. I mean, they didn't have traffic, but you know, they had conferences and things like that. And so they hired me. When they hired me, they're like, listen, you can cover all these little companies that no one cares about. Um, you know, Google, uh, Facebook, whatever that is. You know, and yeah. I was like, I was like 
Well, those are the ones I've heard of and that are cool. So thank you very much. Yeah. I will cover them. So how did you like? How did you approach like you know what's Facebook for the IT professional? Yeah, no, I just ignored that. Okay. Yeah, I just I just wrote news stories about them. I I, I wrote it from a business perspective. I, I think I was always interested. I mean, and the, and that was good. They allowed me to sort of, you know, just talk about them as businesses. So like of all of the. I would say the majority of the writers we have on this show are kind of like general interest or mm. like people who are just kind of like after a story, not a beat. Right. Um, and I find among beats, like the the business beat, it's an elusive fox. Yeah. Um, it has a language to it and it has sort of a, some assumptions about the role of business in society. Yeah. And it always feels to me like it's uh, fighting against being a like the the press release looms large in its life. So- as you've gone through those first couple years, like what, what do you learn on the first year on the job reporting on business? Well, I mean, I actually, you know, you learn the difference between revenues and profit and what, you know, <laughs> I learned a lot. I was an English major at Davidson. Yeah. So, I, you know, I talked about business around the house just because my, you know, and this is how I got the Merrill Lynch dad, job. My dad works at Merrill Lynch. Uh-huh. Um, so we would talk a little bit about business and the, like the Wall Street Journal was a was his paper. So I, you know, knew a little bit about it, but I learned a ton. Um, I learned a ton about journalism too. I think, an, uh, you know, a huge advantage of internet news was that, dot com. Dot com was that they did not believe in linking. Uh, it was so pre-internet <laughs> that, that it was so like web one Oh or web. What, what was their objection to linking? They, because linking in like, it's hard to remember this, but early on people thought linking was bad because it meant that you were sending people off of your site uh, and they should okay. just be staying on your site all day. Were they, did they object to internal linking also? No, they loved that. Internal linking. Because okay. that was, you know, good for all sorts of things. But they also had journalistic objection to linking, uh, mm. which was that they, you know, now, and the BI's like this, if, if the New York Times writes something and yep. it's worth passing on to our readers or, you know, I want to just, I want to cite a source, I can just link to a re- reputable brand or... Well, also, sometimes you'll have like a phrase in a story like um, outrage, like in the press or something like that. And it's like you kind of have to like link to that. You can't just be like, trust me on this one. Like people (laughs) were pissed. It was almost like footnotes are kind of the only only way you can get around But it was was good for me in that um, if Google, if, if Google floated a news story in the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, and everyone else would just sort of take off on the on the story that was written. I had to call. They made me call Google, yeah, and email Google and get the news from them, like straight from the horse's mouth, or else it didn't happen. Right. You know, we don't trust other publications. Right. And that was good because I got used to calling people and, and getting news and things like that. And I just, you know, I think that a lot of people don't do that as much. What's it like calling Google? Like it's <sighs> like a you know um, first year like like. It's strange. You're 24 or 23. How, I don't, how old was I? Tw- well, there's like 22 or 22, 23. I wonder. Like, we'll get to this like. later, but like, I was looking at um, a piece that you're going to have running uh, next week in the New York Times yeah. magazine. Right. It's an adaptation of out. your book. If you're listening to this, it's out. It's Check out. it out. And Nicholas also, Carlson, by Tech. the way, it's public that I'm having a kid. So. Oh, hey. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Is that an exclusive? That is a total exclusive. Um, so you're having a kid, and uh, yeah. you have a Times Magazine piece out right now. That's fun to say. I haven't uh, been able to tell you. You haven't been able to tell anyone? No. All right. Wow. Yeah, there you go. This is this, <laughs> is this is the most heartwarming thing that's ever happened on this podcast. <laughs> so but I was looking through this Times Magazine, and it's basically like every time there's a 
pointed statement about something someone did, it's like rebuttal TK. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm guessing like the first few times you're calling Google, you're calling Apple. Yeah. You're not going to like stand up to someone and say, hey, uh, we're publishing this. Like you can give your statement, but like we're sticking by like. Yeah. When you're 22 and you're covering these things, you're just you're, like you talked about the press release before. Yeah. You're covering the press releases. And the most aggressive you get with these companies, and it is sort of aggressive, is you go as a 22-year-old and you interview an analyst mm-hmm. who has an opinion that the company is doing something stupid. Right. You're not like old enough to have your own full of shit opinion. So you have to like go to an analyst for their full of shit. Opinion, exactly. Kind of. Right. And you can't criticize the full of right. shit. Company. And you're also not breaking news. Right. Uh, or re- you're not reporting anything that the company doesn't want you to report because you don't have sources yet at 22. Or right. 23. So when you look at a press release. Yeah. Like some press releases are just clearly bullshit. Yeah. Right. So I'm assuming now like. At the stat the the station you're at now, yeah. you don't take you, you you're unless your if something if something can just simply be contained in the press release, it's sort of not a story, right? Right? Well, or it's, I, it's not not a it's just a, a post. I, I do this because it's hopefully helpful. But there's a luncheon that a guy named Peter Himmler throws, where business journalists get sit at a table and talk to a whole room full of PR people. And what I told the room full of PR people is, what you think is news is not news. You know, right. it's an announcement. Announcements are not news. Right. No one cares. <laughs> no one cares. So I, I can't. Re- I mean, I can't remember the last time I did a story based on a press release, other than maybe like a major merger. So, at what point in your writing career did you do the first story that was not based on a press release right. or or based on an announcement that the company would want something people wanted to parrot? Yeah, out? I mean, I think probably a year in. I mean, I'm just guessing, but I I remember, you know, I, you know, not to like, here's why I'm great, but no, but here's (laughs) one thing that always has been an advantage for me is that I do just, once I, like, like I said, I I didn't get into this because I love technology or I love business. I got into it because I love writing. And so eventually, like, you're in this, you're kind of boxed into a corner and you, of like technology and writing and you, okay, so I'll start reading about it and writing about it and start getting curious about it. So eventually I started to get curious and I said... Do you remember when Viacom sued Google over YouTube? Yes. Yeah. So th- that was one time where I, the first, probably also one of the first times I really pissed off a PR person, but I didn't do it on purpose. But I went to Viacom and I sat and the PR person, I think, put me, a 23-year-old, sat me down with, I think, the the general counsel for Viacom. And, and he explained to me why they're suing Google. And that was all my idea. I was like, let's, you know, I try to report it out and all that. And so he told me the whole thing and, you know, it was on background. And to me on background at that time meant I just don't quote you, right. um, but I can say where I got the information. It, and by the way, so, you know, if anybody's wondering now, I make this very clear with all sources and it's, it's all above board, but they what, were, what does, um, like what, um, the, I don't know anything about business. All these reporting. things are made up on and, background is like, don't quote me, but take my information. Yeah. So on background and uh, like it, it goes on and on. There's on background. There's on you know, obviously there's on the record and then there's on deep background and then there's off the record. Uh-huh. On background to me usually means um, it means the same thing as on deep background, by the way. But I'll say on deep background to make people even more comfortable. You know, this whole show is on deep background. <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all in what you mean by it. So okay. so I what I do is I'll explain to a source. Uh, when I say on ba- on deep background or on background, what I mean is that I can use the information you're giving me, but I won't say where I got it, uh-huh. or will, or I'll get more nuanced and say we'll agree to say describe who you are generally. Right, but so. like, okay, I'm going to keep asking these questions. Yeah. We're going to go th- linearly through your history, and then I'm just going to get confused repeatedly. Excellent. 
doesn't a good detective fairly easily figure out where you got that information? I, I mean, do you throw smoke screens on that deep background where you make it look like someone else? It's all about it's all about a lot of things. It's about plausible deniability mm-hmm. is a, a big part of it. You know, there, I, I noticed this a couple of years ago when I was reading James. I think it's James Stewart's Disney War. Yeah, and he talks about um, dial like dialogue. Where does dialogue come from? And he said, "I would caution the reader," and I, and I borrow that phrase. I caution the reader from um, sort of just assuming that dialogue comes directly from the person speaking it. Right. I think he even says, or even is in the room, because people often relay conversations and so on and so on and so on. So dialogue and thoughts and and things that happened can be um, triangulated and passed on and and corroborated. I can write the story saying, like, this happened in this room and this person said this to that person. Mm-hmm. But neither one of those people talked to me. And that's, the, you know, it's hard to get into specifics about how that happens, but it happens, you know, all the time. Hey, it's your host uh, with a quick word from our sponsor, lynda.com. Lynda is a site where you can get these training videos on just about anything. They have over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, business. Uh, You can learn Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop, or you could learn podcasting with GarageBand. Um, So if in your 2015 you'd like to pick up some new skills for your job, uh, for your hobby, um, for your art, uh, whatever you're interested in developing, uh, lynda.com has you covered. You can sign up for a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash long form. You'll get unlimited access to every course on lynda.com. You can view them on your phone, Android, tablet, wherever, and there'll be new courses popping up every week. Uh, I checked out their offerings. Here are some ones I definitely want to take. Uh, Podcasting with GarageBand, uh, JavaScript for web designers. God, my coworkers would love it if I would take that course. Uh, Creating websites with HTML5. Um, So go do something good for yourself in 2015 and sign up for the free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash longform. You are sure to learn something valuable. Our next sponsor is a return sponsor and one of my favorites, uh, Squarespace. They're a make-your-own website site that just got even better with Squarespace 7. Uh, you can remember back in the day, it was very hard to put up a website. Uh, you could uh, change one link and break everything. Uh, now, when my friends want a website, I just refer them straight to Squarespace. And with Squarespace 7, uh, they can do even more. They have a redesigned user interface, integration with Google Apps, uh, lots of new design templates, including a partnership with Getty Images that gets you 40 million high-quality photos for your site. Um, if you're interested in Squarespace uh, 7 and how it works, you can go to squarespace.com 7. But I'll tell you about the core features of Squarespace that make it great day in and day out, 24-7 support via live chat and email, beautiful design, and only $8 a month, which includes a free domain if you buy a year. Um, Plus, every site comes with a free online store, so you could do anything from a personal portfolio to e-commerce, whatever you want to do on the web, Squarespace has you covered. So I want you to go to squarespace.com and put in offer code LONGFORM. You'll get 10% off your first purchase and show support for this show. That's promo code LONGFORM, Squarespace. Start here, go anywhere. Thanks, Squarespace. Here I am back with Nicholas Carlson. Okay, you've got your spectrum from on record to off record Mm -hmm. with like several depth charges along the way. (laughs) 
like when I if I were looked at your notes for a story, like yeah. do you have like a record, off record, yeah. deep background yeah. stuff? I mean, like well, has I, anyone I try to ever make it said simpler than that? Generally, an entire interview will be on the record. Yeah, I discourage people from talking to me on off the off the record because what good does that do? Off the record is a great spot where someone can lie to you because there's no consequences. Someone says, "Well, off the record, I'd I say just stop. I'd rather not know. Just right. you know, don't don't talk anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so, like, do you record conversations in uh, this context? Yeah, it depends. I mean, yep. often with you know knowledge and you're you're starting to get uh, stories that are a little more nuanced than the press release going in, in yeah. your career. Yep. Well, at what point did you move over to Business Insider? Okay, so I um, was at InternetNews.com. Yeah. Dot com. Yeah. For a year and a half. And Corey, I always get his last name wrong. Sitcha? I, I was going to say Sika, but I think, I think it's Sitcha. Sitcha. Check uh, out his long-form podcast. Posted an opening at Gawker. And I said, that looks like more fun. Yeah. And I wrote an email to Corey, and he said, ah, you're more for Valleywag. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he put me in touch with Owen Thomas, who was then running Valleywag. And yeah. we had a drink, and then um, Owen hired me. And um, that was 2007. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. I read Valley Wag now, but I don't know that I read it then. Did it yeah. have the sort of confrontational no. reputation? It, it, it was confrontational, yes. And the reason why when 2008 happened and Nick Denton looked at costs and thought the world was ending, he fired Valley Wag first. Everybody from Valley Wag first was because it didn't sell ads. Because it was, it's a gossip rag, and now it's an, it's like now it's become, and I don't actually now it's sort of in transition again. Uh, yeah. They hired Dan Lyons, but what what it had been for the past two years, you know, currently, is more of like I feel like an opinion section. Yeah, I mean, it really is like you know polemics on like what it means to be in this age with all these crazy billionaires in Silicon Valley, whereas back then it was more, um, it was more of like a fun trade publication mm, like okay. it covered earnings i always have the impression uh, like with valley wag uh that at least in the sam biddle era check out his long form podcast mm-hmm. that it was like the audience was actually mostly people who hate sam biddle like it was like it's all a bunch of like i imagine the traffic is centered around san francisco yeah and that it's like the people who are the most worried about it are reading it because you talk you talk to anyone in technology yeah. they read sam biddle yeah. and hate sam biddle mm. and I don't know who, like, I don't know that that many other people, like, I read it because I'm sort of interested in all this stuff and I think it's, like, fun. But it's, like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty narrow band. Yeah. Like, um, it's not even really the whole tech, it's only, like, really the, like, ostentatious technology yeah. industry that's covered. Well, you know what, people, but people, I hit the phrase I hear over and over, I heard it back then, is that Valleywag serves a purpose. Yeah. You know, because it's just, it's such a hyped up industry. Right. That he just comes in and just hates everything. And so, you know. Although, I mean, Valleywag was different uh, bef- back then. And, you know, it, it, ha- it was more of like a um, – it was more like the, the like page six for technology. Right. You know, like it was reporting on like the new it couple. And so at that point, even though the reputation was less uh, incendiary towards the industry, yeah. um, you're still talking about a Nick yeah. Denton come on the show, Nick, publication. <laughs> yeah. And were you concerned that like you were never going to get like a like a legit straight job in, re- yeah. in technology naively, reporting again? Naively, yeah. no. I was not <laughs> concerned about that. 
I should have been. Yeah. Uh, because I've spent the past six years of Business Insider repairing one year of like. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I think it's not an issue anymore. It surprises me sometimes when I uh, I, have to, I sit back and think, oh, I don't have to. Like, people are okay with me. So do people like, <laughs> do people like in the year after that year yeah. where people like, yeah. oh, Nick Carlson of Valley Wag? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Henry, my boss, Henry Blodgett, got a lot of flack for hiring me. What were the things that you did at Valley Wag that pissed people off? You know, I. I was just following orders. <laughs> I did some embarrassing things. It was actually sort of hard on your soul. I mean, you know, you'd like write about someone's, you know, extramarital affair. Mm. You know? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. You know, one thing I did like, though, is just the aggressive. Whereas, like, Sam Biddle is aggressive against the culture of Silicon Valley, we are aggressive with the companies. Like, this is a bad decision you're making. Whereas, right. like, everyone's just cheering on every decision, little, you know, so. So, when you're in that situation, you're what, 24, 25 years yeah. old? I don't know if that which era of Gawker we're talking about, but depending on the era, like, potentially your paycheck is actually directly linked to page views. I on broke the page view system. Oh, Little really? known fact about me. What, what was, was one story that did yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the summer of 2008, uh, Nick Denton switched it. To, yeah, maybe, he, maybe he switched it at that beginning of that year. I think he did. To you get, you get paid uh, CPM for extra traffic. Yeah. And I published a really, really uh, safe story called like the coolest workplaces in tech. Yeah. And it just had pictures of really cool workplaces all over the world of tech. And I made uh, $15,000 that month, in one month, and then Nick turned it off. <laughs> <laughs> so where I was going with that, which unfortunately the example does not correspond with, is that you're 24, 25 years old, and the way you can make enough money to live in New York yeah. and potentially like you know not share a bathroom yeah. anymore right. is probably to be as aggressive as and you know the the soul the soul right. damaging part yeah those are linked to each other yeah what was that experience like for you well a couple of things so it wasn't just like the content it was also the velocity i went to gawker and i wanted to make fifty thousand dollars a year i felt like that was you know livable and that meant i wrote i'd write 14 posts a day 14 um, posts 14, a day 14 posts a day so that's you know twelve dollars a post yeah uh, I think the math checks out. So I, that was seven before lunch and seven after. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, the quality obviously isn't always extremely high, but you do get this sense of like, I don't have, I've, I don't have writer's block at all. Right. I mean, like it just snapped it out of me. Yeah. You know, so I just, you just like, oh, that's a story. That's a story. That's a story. That's and a did story. You, do you start like systematizing it where you get like, like a routine going for the generation of posts? Yeah. I mean, like, definitely you, you wake up and you have things you read and then you, I just remember having like. You know, like a, a tab used to mean a story. You yeah. Know, like I would have like seven tabs open for my morning. So like the majority of those, and uh, I'm reducing like a actually fairly complex issue in, in how reporting works now, but like the majority of those, if you're going to do 14 posts a day, yeah. obviously no original reporting. Yeah. You're basically reposting other posts kind of like with your own voice or your own slant yeah. on well, it. Well, actually, I mean, what I started to try to do, what I, so that would be really boring. I did look around and sort of say like, I'm not a writer for to be bored. Yeah. You know, uh, not for the money either. So it's sort of like, so I started, you know, this is very simple stuff. Instead of just taking the one story and rewriting that, you take the one story and a name from it and you Google that name and see what comes up and see what happened, you know, five years ago and work that into the story and, and just sort of do this like Google reporting. Also, you just learn to email report, like just fire off emails all the time. By the way, when you get an email back from a source... 
that's just as that's just as good as a tab. So I mean, it's you know, in the sense of like, you almost start to blog your sources if that makes sense. Okay, so this is probably the first time you're like really cultivating. So like, yeah. for someone who's starting off in technology and business reporting, you're yeah. starting with zero sources. Yeah, you're playing the board game of tech reporting. Yeah. Who's your first source? How do you start developing? Co- I just had a conference with Sam Colt from Business Insider. I think he'll be fine with me saying this. We just we were talking about this today. Go to a conference and you look at the agenda and you see who is on at all worthwhile you knowing and that's speaking on any kind of panel. Yeah. You stand in the room and you wait till the panel's over and then the person gets off stage and you're the annoying one who goes up and introduces yourself to them. And you say, I know nothing about your industry. I'm covering it. I'm just trying to learn a lot. Uh, can I, you know, bug you sometime for some help? Mm-hmm. You know, I need to know. You know, I don't. And it's a, it's a help, very helpful posture as a reporter to be that way. And you say, and they say yes because people love helping, and you start to meet people that way. Okay, so I'm Aaron Lammer of uh, InternetWorld.com. <laughs> We're uh, we make internet products. Yeah. And you approached me after a conference and said, "I'd love to have you a source." I don't say I'd love to have you as a source. Oh, okay, okay. So you're just like, yeah. I'd love to know more about your industry. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So what's like, what's our first interaction like? Um, you talk a lot. Okay. I ask you a few questions. So I'm like, you know, it's so hard selling internet products. <laughs> it's yeah. it's very stressful. My wife, my kids, my dog. No, you, you talk less about your wife and your kids and more about the uh, your competitors. Okay. They're full they're of shit. Wrong, they're underhanded. What you, what you guys are doing great. And they may have fudged some numbers on their That guy over report. there is an idiot. That's yeah. a terrible strategy. And actually, by the way, that's how you get to know anything. It's like you listen to people who know something and yeah. you start to, eventually you start to parrot them. You, know, right. you decide what makes sense that you'd like to repeat, and so you do. And then later, would I become a source potentially? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I really work. The way I work is, you know, like um, I have connectors. Like, so I have people, a few people in my not Rolodex, but you know, like maybe like a dozen or maybe a two dozen people. I know, you know, hundreds of people in the industry, but I know maybe two dozen people who are for some reason or another allies of mine. They they like. They appreciate the work I do, and um, they will make introductions for me. They will mm-hmm. help um, explain what's going on, and um, they're just sort of they're allies, and they're kind of like hubs. And they just sort of I lean on them to. Do to they expect anything in return from you? You know, I I usually can't write about them. I often think about why do sources talk to reporters. Yes. And it's a very good question. I feel like we should do like a super cuts show on this. And it's like the super cut show would be all journalists like, I have no idea why people, yeah. they're morons. Yeah. Do I flatter myself by saying that I think because I'm always talking to a lot of people that yeah. like I'm kind of like a good like conduit for interesting thoughts on the industry. Mm. Maybe that's helpful for them. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. Like you've got contacts at three companies. I share you kinda, intel. You share sure. intel, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be like, here's what I'm hearing. Here's But you have to be careful not to reveal yeah. anything that would be clearly from one of the, like okay yeah. i'm at over here at uh, internetworld.com yeah i've got i know the like me yeah. is a uh, uh, jimmy at uh yeah. um webjazz.com yeah. <laughs> right okay so we're in the same field it's a billion dollar company do you, right yeah. and nick and i are just going to we're just going to spin off and do uh, webjazz.com <laughs> does jimmy over at webjazz know that i'm your source no so no. do any of your sources know about any I other mean, sources? They t- sometimes they'll surprise me and make me very uncomfortable by talking about things. Like yeah. sometimes I'll be out at a party and yeah. one will be right next to the other and they'll they'll do this thing and I'm like, 
I'm holding my hands up right now saying like, I, I just, uh, this makes me uncomfortable. Bye. <laughs> so I just, I mean, has anyone like burnt you before um, and like outed you as like a, I don't know. I don't know how that would happen, but, but definitely I am often saying to people, cause they'll just casually be like, you know, this happened a lot for the, for my book where it's like someone like, oh, you should definitely talk to so-and-so. Have you talked to so-and-so? Right. Just like they're trying to be helpful. Oh, right. you should go talk to the, you know, former CFO of Yahoo and yeah. you talk to this former CFO of Yahoo and whether or not I have or not is a question that I cannot answer. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be like, I can't get into source. Yeah, and I can't it's good. Just kind of like to. a lot of nodding. Yeah. I just sort of say like, I'll say something like, I just can't get into sourcing. It's a really good idea that I should talk to that person. Hopefully I will, you know? So right now, how many sources do you have in yeah, the field? I, that's a tough question. It's, it's like uh, enough that they're very disorganized, you know, like I just have a lot. And so I'll have to like the, um, today I published a story about the, the present that Google gave Google employees that a few of them were complaining about it. Yeah. They got new smartwatches and they're like, oh, these are so cheap. Or at least two of them were that I heard about. And so, you know, this is Friday evening and I'm like, ah, I got a hot, I got a hot tip. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, who are my Google sources? So wait, who, who, where did the hot tip come from? It came not from, from Google. Uh, no, not from, not, not from, from Google. Google. Yeah. Okay. Not, not from Google. No. Someone like heard someone on, on the BART talking about their basically, shitty ass watch. Yeah. Basically. Ex- <laughs> Has anyone start, had a tech career where they just sit on the BART and, and eavesdrop on people? That's a good idea. You know, I, this is a whole other topic. I think it's hard to be a tech reporter in San Francisco because you're constantly surrounded by what's going on. Yeah. And you don't know what's news. It's oxygen to you. All right. So you heard that there's a, there's yeah. some shitty watches so I just start there. Google I just start searching my inbox who have I ever talked to about Google you know like and by the end you know come up with like you know two dozen people to ask but I need a I need a spreadsheet that's like I can just type in like some when I want to talk about Google here yes. are the people I talk to it's sort of like a CRM for sources I need a, I would love to have CRM I, this is a good idea all right that's what web jazz is gonna do web jazz <laughs> CRM for journalists and uh, we'll go out of business okay so like your new book is about Marissa Mayer and the sort of the, the the long saga of Yahoo. Yeah. Of your sources, would anyone's job be in danger if yeah. they were outed as a Nicholas so Carlson source? This, it is funny. So like I was so I sent my book to Ken Aletta to be blurbed. Yeah. <laughs> and he read it and he was nice and he did eventually blurb it. But before he did, he's like, okay. He wrote a book about Google like yeah, kind wrote, of I was almost gonna say in the nineties, but probably maybe I think two, it was like five or six years ago. Yeah. Really? Like that that's that short? I think so, but he's written a lot of technology books. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he said to me, like, I understand why when people are talking about state secrets, like, uh, they don't name any sources and why no one goes on the record. And he's like, well, why? This is, this is not on that order. Why are all these record uh, people unnamed? And it's a really fair question. And so he said, you know, I explained what I explained to him. And he's like, okay, you need to put that in the note on sources is that. It's not like legal authority, but there is real power that belongs to someone like Marissa Meyer and right. uh, Yahoo. They can make or break careers, and 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 so, um, in the end, what I really I really wanted to talk to people who, by the way, Marissa Meyer is a very um, you know polarizing figure, and it's very easy to get people to say nasty things about her. Right, and I wanted to make sure that I got the very laudatory things as well. Like why, why is she someone who people really admire out there? And that's speaking to her friends. And she was actively dissuading her friends from speaking to me. And so in the end, you know, you need someone who is going, who is friends with Marissa Meyer to say, okay, it is in her best interest, though she may not recognize it for me to speak to you. But I'm not doing that if she knows that I, I spoke to you. So, so did you were you able, were you successful in breaking through, or can you not reveal to that? Marissa Meyer to her friend group? Oh, absolutely. Okay, tell me how you pursue something like that. So I have three emails I send. 
the first is just an email. I'm giving away all my secrets. But there's I know, a, this is the nature of this show. Yeah. Actually, after the show, we retire you and replaced <laughs> by a younger man. Exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so my first email is just a very. It's a lot like that handshake I do at the end of a conference where I say like, you know, I just need some education from you. Yeah. And then I said, then I send another one that's sort of like, and I say like, I'm working on this project, but listen, it's going to be hard for me to explain over email. We'll get on the phone and off the record conversation. Yeah. I'll tell you more about my project and my point of view, uh, because I found that people really want to know what your point of view is. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you can decide if you want to help me or not. So I'm interested in that that point of view yeah. idea. Um, yeah, the secret is I don't have one. Yeah, I was going to say. So yeah. you're, you're Meyer. You started <laughs> people this. people think you do. What so became this book was like a 22,000 word piece yeah. on Meyer. So I'm assuming that like the original research for this book goes all the way back to that. Yeah. That piece. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how I would characterize it. This guy is indifferent to yeah. the fate of <laughs> yeah, if Yahoo went out of business next, I don't think you would mourn it. Right. And if if she pulls this off and it's bigger than Apple, yeah. I don't think you're gonna be like, fuck yeah, like <laughs> called it. Yeah. Like right. you're kind of your attitude's like and rightly so is is fairly neutral. Yeah. So how do you explain how how would you pitch that to someone <laughs> as your attitude? I try to just use plain English. I mean yeah. I don't know. I try to say to them like, listen my here's my point of view. Well no, there's there's easier ways you can do that. So I say um I'll say like listen I I'll I'll just start to talk about facts. I'll be like um I'll be like, listen, she's very polarizing. Mm-hmm. Um, people think she's awkward in these ways, and yep. she has her enemies, and they are her enemies for these reasons. Yeah. And I'm going to reflect that in the book. On the other hand, you know, she became this star executive at Google, and she's, you know, for people who this means something to them, she's worth $300 million. So you don't just, that doesn't usually happen just totally by accident. You know, like yeah. there's something you've accomplished there. She positioned herself into this job. So there's obviously something to admire. Like she's an, an impressive person. And by the way, she has lots of people who swear by her. She has a group of people who think she is amazing. So they must see something in her. So I just say to them, like, look, uh, what I'm interested in is finding out both sides and really kind of like triangulating down to which one is the reality, you know, where in between there's a reality. And so when I say that to people, most people are reasonable and they say, okay. Let's let's do this thing. Now, often when this when the third email comes in, often they'll be like, ah, I'm still nervous. I don't really want to. And that's when I send the guilt trippy email. Mm. I send him an email and I say that this I realized I needed to do this. Eventually, you have to actually persuade sources to talk to you. You can't just expect them to want to because why would they want to? So I'll yeah, say it's against their interests. Yeah, there is actually very little reason to. So you have to give them a reason to. And there are good reasons. They just, you know, they're sort of altruistic in some ways. And I say it's a good deed. So the reason you should speak to me is that it's a good deed. It's a good deed to Marissa because she is elected not to pr- participate in this. So there is, she literally does not have a spokesperson. And conversely, if you're about to fry her, you're like, people need to know the truth about her. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it's it takes very little persuasion for people right. who are going to fry her. I right. don't really have to convince them much. What if people's objection is like, I could lose my job or like it would uh, endanger my friendship to her yeah. to do it? How, like, what, how, well, then, how, I just, then I start talking about, okay, tell me stories where there were more than you, just you and her in the room. Mm, okay. you know, uh, tell me stories where anybody who knows this will not be able to immediately identify you. I am seriously not looking to get anybody in trouble. So. There's a scene that's in your book, and I think it's also in the New York Times Magazine excerpt, yeah. where basically they're doing a performance review of someone among the, mm. the Yahoo executives, right. and someone's like, fuck, I don't I don't like that guy. Yeah. He's super annoying. And then that guy like <laughs> leaves the... It's like another executive, he leaves the company. Yeah. So... 
I don't know how many people were there. The performance reviews, yeah, what ten maybe? Yeah. Like, I appreciate those. Has sources. anyone ever like d- you know like done a like um you know like a, a mystery style reconstruction? Like, I can en- eliminate this person and yeah. this person. That's another reason why um, in this book you'll notice that I didn't do a lot of like like uh, the thing where you like jump out of the narrative real quick and you get to someone who's like a commentator, like a color commentator on the story. And yeah. I don't do a lot of that, um, even with sources that maybe would be yeah. willing to do a quote because I don't want to, and this is another thing I got from James Stewart, uh, was I don't want to allow for process of elimination, people to start figuring out, okay, well, this person gave a quote here. So that means they're definitely talking, you know, yeah. that, that sort of thing. I mean, like, I just know even in things that are like totally petty, yeah. like someone I know worked at a company, like a creative company, mm-hmm. and that company got a very bad review on Glassdoor. Oh. And basically the entire company, I'm like the entire <laughs> executive team of this company organized not to address the complaints of the oh, employee, yeah. but through pretty deep detective work figuring out who had posted it and tried to get them to take it down yeah. getting down to like two or three people right got the wrong person oh. and fired them oh god and that, that wasn't even at a large company that yeah. was at let's say uh, like terrible. a two or three hundred person company i mean god forbid they like actually try to listen to what the story right. and the complaint and was basically um they no one gets promoted from within to the executive ranks mm-hmm. which is like a hilarious yeah, like reaction so they right? yeah, they're like they're yeah, like, like all right we gotta stand together on this one Squatch, squatch. This is a clear us against them scenario. But the stakes are really high here with Yahoo. It's a publicly traded company, um, and people's careers are at stake. So I imagine that people would go. I'm glad you appreciate the gravity. I mean, this is why I was so careful with like you know using no names. I get that it's 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 sometimes a leap for some people. They're like, oh, why do you? Right, right. I mean, I guess I wasn't like inclined to kick holes in it because I didn't find any of it. I wasn't like, no way did that happen. Right, right. It's it's ultimately believable. Yeah. But I guess I wonder, like, when you start thinking about people losing their jobs, et cetera, or I was thinking in the context of this, you know, this Times Magazine story, this will have actually happened so we can gamble on it right now if you want. Yeah. Is this going to send the stock up or down? (laughs) That's a good question. You know, I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. Like, I would guess, I mean, the New York Times, I think, is still a large enough part of American life Mm -hmm. that if you do, this is a cover story on the Times Magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. Whatever conclusion people draw about this, yeah. I would would guess will cause people to react in the yeah. market. It's a funny story because it may cause negative sentiment about Marissa Meyer. And we can get into like the nuances of the story, but like it may cause people to think, oh, well, the, her efforts at turn, this turnaround are not working. But here's the thing, though, like baked into that is also this argument that, OK, well, that means it's other transactions probably going to happen. Right. Where um, a lot of cash is coming shareholders way. And when cash, I mean, like so. Like almost the whole funny thing with Yahoo is that as this turnaround has not happened, yeah, the stock price has gone through the roof. Yes, so that's that's why it's sort of hard to sort of say. Like I was price. wondering, like since I have an advance of this and yeah. the book, whether like almost like if I trade. were to take a strong position on <laughs> yeah. Yahoo right now, that would be considered insider trading. But the problem is, I'm not above that at all. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell which position <laughs> to take, which like, I think God. speaks to your um, the way that you represented <laughs> your intentions. Where I was like, well, there's some really uh, negative things in there. Yeah. On the other hand, like. Yeah. 
if they shed this Alibaba money and it's yeah. a much smaller business, well, that business could double itself much more easily. That's totally true. Like, it becomes more volatile. Yeah. Maybe that's good. Also, like, I assume that people just see the word Yahoo and that might send the stock up. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like, oh, Yahoo. That still exists. Yeah, they're, <laughs> exactly. They're like, wow, they got a cover story? Yeah. Oh, my God. Something great, was great PR. No, funny thing about the Marissa Myers, the, so I wrote, I wrote that one. And yeah. they, like, their reaction to it was silence. And I'm glad you thought it was fair because I think most people did. But but that's great. So that was my intention. AOL, the comms guy there, and Tim Armstrong read that story and said, "Wow, Yahoo PR did it. like that was that was a good job by them working with you on this story." Yeah. <laughs> that, that's um that's a like a unanimous like I since I'm not a journalist but yeah. I like talk to journalists and I talk to people who have like been on the like receiving end of journalism. Yeah. Like generally the the people who are like covered are like you really fucked us over like we look terrible and everyone else is like so you're on their payroll payroll yeah. right like that is <laughs> i would say that is the like prototypical response yeah. to a, a fair business I've story i've heard this on your podcast a number of times when journalists are like no one likes being written about no one likes being written no about. one likes being written about yeah. so knowing that that they that yahoo was not going to like uh, being written about yeah. in the in this context, mm -hmm. the book takes several key moments in the history of Yahoo, and and I would say a lot of your stories about this. Like, if I were to describe, you have a series of stories for Business Insider. It's like how Larry Page turned Google, or you know, turned Google around, or like how a bunch of kids from eBay like ma made a new eBay. Right? It's usually like a company in a in a uh, moment of transition or transformation. Mm -hmm. That that seems to be like what interests you as, as a reporter. Yeah. Some of these calls that get made in these companies, like buying Tumblr, say, right? You can have someone who's like, that was the fucking bungle of the decade. <laughs> and you can have someone be like, that is the, that is, that's how you know. That's Marissa Maya. Yeah. That's her genius, mm -hmm. right? So I guess I wonder, like, do you make that call? Yeah. Like, that's a really good question. Because you're not an, that's what an analyst does. Yeah, an, an analyst, analyst goes like, that was smart or that was stupid. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that they do so with any deep, like, I don't know, like, I kind of follow Apple closely. Yeah. Whenever I read, like, an Apple analyst, I'm like, I'm like, that is basically just like reading the news and like pontificating you about it. You know what it. I think it is? I think that if Yahoo goes one way or goes the other way, I don't really care. That's probably true. I mean, it's definitely true. Uh, it, I'm also comfortable with um, ambiguity. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm just going to tell you what the latest is with Tumblr. And I'm not necessarily going to draw a fine point to say this is the truth about, like, here's the one sentence that, like, summarizes the whole thing. Right. I may say, like, this is the deal now. This is the, a, ch a challenging thing was ending this book because it's live. <laughs> right. I know. I was thinking about that, yeah. too. What day? When does it come out? It comes out January 6th. Yeah. But uh, I finished writing it August 18th. The real irony is if your New York Times story, which comes out before the book, like sends like Yahoo into either like a tailspin <laughs> or a spike, and it makes your book outdated, that would be that would be deeply ironic. That would be that would be a horrible, horrible fate. So they're clear narratives. Like yeah. Steve Jobs came back to Apple yeah. and turned things around. Mm -hmm. iPod revolutionized the industry. Yeah. Okay, that's or um, Patch with AOL yeah, was like a bunk. Okay, yeah. so it's like. No one in a business book was going to be like, and then they had a great idea. They'd start a network of local <laughs> blogs and it would change the world, right? Those are like canon business yeah, those, decisions. It's impossible to be ambiguous about those, though. So I guess I'm wondering, like, as someone who's been in this in the game yeah. for six years plus, mm -hmm. how much time do you need to for something to be canon? Like, how how 
how quickly will be we be able to judge Marissa Meyer or judge these decisions that are happening right now? Well, I think uh, one an, a way to answer this question is that occasionally you do need to like we got a hold of patch numbers a couple years before it was shut down, mm-hmm. and I said I, I think my headline was we've seen patch revenue numbers for two thousand whatever. And it makes us worried that Tim Armstrong doesn't know how to run AOL. And that's a call. And sometimes you have to make a big call. And, you know, it's a little bit like that old columnist thing, you know, make a big swing to to get attention so people will read. Sometimes you just got to go for that. And I don't know, that's just like conviction strikes you Mm. and you just go for it. I've also been wrong before when things like that. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about the the Steve Jobs warship that sort of animates the tech industry right now. No one can run a company without um, being the new Steve Jobs or aspiring to be like. I was actually I was saying about this Morris Bob, and then I realized actually you also wrote a Jack story about Jack Dorsey from Twitter this a couple months ago. Mm -hmm. Also about is Jack Dorsey positioning himself as the new Steve Jobs? It, It sort of cuts both ways where it's. The the reporter is asking if they are the new Steve we Jobs, love it. and also the person is interrogated for being trying too hard to be <laughs> like Steve Jobs in many situations. So, I guess it strikes me that the media is partially responsible totally. for the like movie version yeah. of business, yeah. and now it's like it's come a little full circle, and like it's in people's heads. But the funny parallel between Jack Dorsey and Marissa Meyer is that both were like on this like up and up and up trajectory where the press was treating them so well mm-hmm. and they were giving interviews everywhere all the time. I mean, Jack Dorsey was being treated. I mean, literally it was journalists who said uh, journalists and a Apple employee, you know, early Apple employees said this guy is the next Steve Jobs. I mean, that's it was those people who are saying it and they were getting treated so well. And then what happens is just, you know, the hype gets so far blown Somebody else comes in with a little like pin and just pops it, and then it just gets terrible for them. And now Jack Dorsey doesn't give interviews very much. He gave, just gave one to the Times, but um, and Marissa Meyer doesn't give interviews much anymore because they start to see like it never was about me. They start to realize that the press was just using them before and is now using them again right. as like sort of characters that they know about. And they sort of almost a little bit wise up. I mean, it's a circle back to sources. Like, why are you going to be a source? And so they start to realize, eh, I don't need this, and this is awful, and I don't, I don't, want, I don't so want it anymore. That, it makes sense that they would wise up, and that's yeah. sort of part of the maturing process is sort of controlling your own story and your yeah. own destiny. For the reporter, like the Steve Jobs myth is both both sides are sort of perpetuating mm-hmm. it. You can't totally let it go because you have to continue to write stories about yeah. this stuff. And I think that... At its core, the Steve Jobs myth is about the the great heroic individual who changes the face of a company mm-hmm. through sheer will. Yeah. And it suggests that 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 personal character and um, quotes that you could put on a coffee mug are very important to business, mm-hmm. right? The most important thing to becoming a business person is like a quote that would be misattributed to well, Picasso. It's, it's the crazy ones. Right. Here's to the crazy ones. Here's to the crazy ones. Right. I mean, he was marketing himself. That ad came out before they had any good products again. It was like, I'm back. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? So- in building a book like this, that's yeah. both a dry autopsy in motion yeah. of of Yahoo, and is also a portrait of the person running Yahoo right yeah. now. How do you balance the numerical that's be my new human blurb, star? By the way, a <laughs> um, <laughs> moving dro- autopsy. Aaron Lammer from <laughs> WebJazz.com. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
How do you balance the sort of raw numerical understanding of like yeah. where Yahoo's at versus someone like Marissa Meyer? And this comes up in almost every story. You could write yeah. a, a dry analytical story about Google, yeah. or you could write about the the hopes and visions of yeah. Larry Page. And I think mo- it's no accident that most of these companies of that scale have that kind of a hero yeah. figure. Larry Page, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. You almost can't have a company of this size and not have a figure like what that. Be- what begins to happen is, so you're you're sitting there and you want to say, this person totally fucked up. And you can't just say that, you have to say how. And mm-hmm. so you have to explain how Yahoo's decision to not integrate um, their search ad business and their search like algorithmic natural you know search product into one allowed it to just be totally destroyed by Google. Yeah. And so then you have to say, okay, why and how? And and that's a whole different kind of writing. And you know, where I sort of try as best as possible to sort of simplify and explain in plain English like the intricacies of the search business. And mm-hmm. it's actually it's very fun. It's very different, but it's very fun. If I came to you after reading one of your stories, I could react to what you just described, sort of the like analytical process behind these business decisions, or I could respond to Marissa Meyer. She loves like luxury mm-hmm. clothing. That's like how that's what I got. Yeah. I got out of it the personal stuff. Is one more true than the other? Is is one more validating? Like, which do you feel like gets closer I'm, to I'm understanding really what's going on? I mean, to me, like, I I think people are what's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I like writing about. I mean, Marissa Meyer is like a once in a lifetime subject. I mean, she. I hope not once in a lifetime. Hope. Yeah. But listen, she's like full of contradictions. She's like this uh, woman who appears in Vogue and yeah. looks pr- so amazingly coiffed, but then. When she's got the most important meeting of of like her first year at Yahoo, she shows up on stage and her hair is wet, and she you know she seems on stage she's incredibly great at uh, connecting to like an interviewer or an yep. audience, but then in a conference room she won't look you in the eye and is cold and is like you know unempathetic, and I'm just like this this lady is like really really interesting. I'd like to write about her, and so to me that's that's the driving interest. There's a million business stories, yeah. But I think if you don't have that character at the center, then you're lost. And, and it's not as fun for me. Like, you know, like, to be honest, the Larry Page story I wrote last year, it just, I kind of like, it was kind of a drag to write. I mean, I I did get to like the stuff where he's kind of got this weird vision for the future. Yeah. But Larry Page is who he seems to be. Interesting. You know? Personally, yeah. I'm like, all of these people are kind of boring. Like, actually, like, what I took from your book was like... Um, some of these product decisions were pretty interesting. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was a pretty interesting. Like people were making bigger moves on the web in yeah. the, in in the day. Like mm-hmm. when it was actually seemed like one website might just be the internet. You yeah. know, I was like, these decisions are huge. Like weird shit. AOL and Yahoo decided in two thousand yeah. or nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, really affected what we perceive as the internet. Yeah. Whereas I was like, these people are all kind of. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know they think that they're important and they sort of live like people who've yeah. decided early that their lives were important. <laughs> okay. But it's like the unifying thread I see it is they're like, it's no surprise that um, like cryogenics is a big focus among like the <laughs> ultra rich. So like, oh, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. They're achievers, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a very specific vision of um, what a great person is that doesn't seem like like it came from them. It seems like an external idea of what a great person is. It's this whole, I mean, that's an interesting topic is ambition and and how they 
they all, yeah, I mean, I think Marissa Meyer is, I mean, like, she's fabulously wealthy at this point. She does not need to be, not, almost like, it's almost cliched at this point to talk about a techie executive and say they don't need to be working. Yeah. Like, none of them need to be working. It's a, what are they working for? They work really crazy hours, by the way, and they work really hard, and so what for? I mean, are you ever inspired to do, like, a story that's, like, the flip side? Like, he made $200 million, and then he did not do anything. I guess that's kind of like the Steve Wozniak story. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> and then he was on the, reality TV. Yeah, just, like, hanging out, like, being a slob that yeah. people love. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe. So you told me a little bit, like, mm-hmm. about in Valley Wag, the yeah. idea of having, like, the soul suckiness. Like, how's your soul doing now? My soul's good. It's much better um, than it was after Valley Wag. That took a little while. I, I feel like I got to have a lot of the fun at Business Insider that we I had at Valley Wag, and yeah. without a lot of the just nastiness. I had these nightmares as I was coming off my book leave um, that I would be going back to um, Business Insider of 2010, where there was you know 10 of us. And it was crank all the time. He's talking about crystal methamphetamine. <laughs> yeah, we were we were all on crank. Have you met Joe Weisenthal? Yeah, uh, that's that explains everything. I think no, but but uh, but then I came back and I actually like um, I lurched into it. I like lurched into like blogging a lot, uh, kind of a little bit just as I got back. And like um, Henry pulled me aside. He's like, "You don't need to do that." Yeah, like just re- resist the temptation, just post. And so that has been a, it's been nice. And I mean, it's also then you're sitting there like, well, what do I write about? But anyway, so no, I mean, my soul's great. Does the experience of going from crank to like a slower drug, you know, like working longer on pieces, what has that done for your writing? I mean, is it hard to transition back into like to getting sent, like getting like edited at a sentence level and yeah. um, and having people look at what you're posting before you post it and, and revise and stuff like what does that do to the brain? It's fair to say that I will end up at a thousand words faster than ever before. When you're writing a book, you get in context. You explain context. Mm-hmm. You need to. You're creating a world, and you're like, okay, like it's like before. Like if I'm going to talk about why this decision about to not merge the two sides of the search business was disastrous for Yahoo, well, I need to explain to you what the search business is and how search advertising works. But at, at BI, if I'm going to do a quick post on uh, Yahoo's new deal with Firefox, or even just like. I don't know anything. Um, I don't need to explain to you how the search business works. Right. <laughs> so coming back, I was like still explaining how the search business works. And I was like, I don't need to back that far up. I can just start here and, and maybe I'll go back to like linking to something yeah. if, if someone needs to really know. Um, or they can just go to Google. It's I right mean, there. <laughs> I would put Business Insider in a class of publishers that, you know, also includes people like, uh, like BuzzFeed mm-hmm. and people who like came out of the gate with a sort of very specific negative connotation to some people mm. of being a factory of yeah. kinds. And both have gone undergone, I think, something of a renaissance mm. um, in how they're perceived and the quality of the work they're putting out, okay. where you see, you know, Joe Weisenthal is going on TV now. Yeah. That is not an outcome I would have bet on in 2010. <laughs> or 2000, and, June, or, you know, and BuzzFeed has like a investigative journalism vertical and a lot of times when I talk to people, uh, both from the outside and the inside, from the outside, people have sort of a, a notion of them that's sort of locked in time. And from the inside, there's this like perpetual chip on the shoulder mm-hmm. where it's like, it doesn't matter if you want like the magazine, like wins the nat- you know, wins a Nobel Prize. Yeah. You're still kind of like pissed off about people's perception of you. Yeah. 
does that affect your work? And does and, and does, do you think about that when you're writing for Business Insider? So I've had the opportunity. It's, so again, I've, I've been there six years. I think yep. that says a lot. I've had the opportunity to go other places. I just did this New York Times Magazine story, and it's been very enlightening. I love BI, and I know that the brand is not like esteemed. It's not like a lot of journalists are very credential oriented. Like they're like, well, I work for the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. And there's there's a column of pros and cons and BI's brand, while I think it's improving, is a con compared to other business publications from Fortune to Forbes to the Wall Street Journal to, I mean, like to uh, Vanity Fair in the New Yorker, yeah. all these wonderful places to work. I just sort of look at the advantages of being there and I think this is great. And so I'm just happy to be telling stories there. Do those cons affect like how you do your job? Like, yeah, I assume that if you were at the Wall Street Journal and you're like, "Hey, um, guy at a conference, yeah. I write for the Wall Street Journal," that guy's like, "I definitely want to have a drink with you." If you're like Business Insider, it's like, yeah. "Who's paying?" So that is uh, 100% a thing that happens. Although it's changed, yeah. I mean, definitely now people are more excited to be a part of us, and you know, from sourcing and things like that. And then I also, I mean, we don't get the call from the M and A banker who's wanting to float a deal to see, you know, on background to see how it moves one stock or the other. You know, right. they're called trial balloons. We don't really get those yet. We're working on it. We'd like to. M and A bankers who listen to long form, <laughs> listen. There's a, at most one of them. We are your shop. Yeah, that's the one that'll help us though. Yeah. Okay. You, know, you, you heard it here first. He's having guy. a son, and he's interested in some weird <laughs> stock manipulation stuff. <laughs> exactly. I'm your guy. I'm not public information. Logit isn't getting all kinds of like weird <laughs> offers. I've, that doesn't seem, seem quite quite add up. Um, so, so anyway, so uh, but that's changed. Yeah. But I did have fun with the, the Times Magazine story. Finally, being like. So I'm working on a magazine story with the New York Times. Right. And do you now get to say, like, you know, he's written for Business Insider and the New York Times Magazine? Yeah. Well, it's funny. Actually, the, I've only been in print uh, now twice. Yeah. Uh, the first time was also for the New York Times Magazine. I did, yeah. like, a very short freelancing thing for them about uh, – speaking of press releases, that was, like, a, a story about Columbia's, like, journalists learning how to hack, like, being – Hacks and hackers. You know, it's just like – so what's your program like? You know, and yeah. they, they tell you, okay, write it down. <laughs> it's like, but I did that just because of the um, the brand, but it was a freelance assignment. So, the state of um, uh, Silicon Valley mm. like doesn't it doesn't seem totally sustainable. I'm not the only person saying this. Yeah. Like it feels like we're in some sort of a transitional period, yeah. whether it's a bubble or I don't. I think bubble is the wrong way to think about it. But yeah. simply from a technological standpoint, things are evolving so rapidly yeah. that the business can't stay the same. Mm. Is this something that you want to like follow for life, or do you think about jumping ship and going somewhere else with yeah. your interests? No, so I, I think I, I you know like I am fascinated by business and I'm fascinated by technology, but I think first and foremost I'm like a, I, I like to tell stories. That's, yeah, that's the main thing. Again, short st- <laughs> do the short stories someday. Yeah, uh, damn it. Uh, no, yeah, how I, are those going? I mean, yeah. do you still do you, like do you still do you still write no. short stories? No, I mean I think I I the, I, I think that these are they. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I, they kind of ha- like I learned like narrative from this guy named Douglas Glover. I thank him in the book. He taught me that like narrative and plot is a physical. It's a physical object. This part goes here. This part goes here. This part goes there. And I just have taken that framework. And, and instead of making up facts, I have like taken real facts. And so um, I'm doing that. Someday maybe I'll go do research and then um, get into people's lives and find the dramatic things and then not use their real names and 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 change one or two details and then call that a short story or a novel and that'll be 
you know, anyway, five people will read it and I'll be thrilled. Are you ever tempted to, uh, ch- I mean, I know there's been a few prominent technology writers who've uh, switched sides in the last few years. I'm not years. tempted by PR. Not te- <laughs> <laughs> I like your I like your clarity. <laughs> Okay, so you're having a child. Yeah. Um, congratulations. Thank you, sir. I, I know. Really, I appreciate so cool. you bringing. Like, we don't get a lot of exclusives on this, this show. This is a. Well, like, how do you think you're gonna ex- like explain this period of time to your wow, child? Wow, these are great questions. See, like, I don't. It's, it's gonna be like hard. It's gonna be hard to even like. This is gonna be like you were involved in some weird cultish shit yeah. in in the in the teens, right? Like, yeah. you're gonna be like a guy. I don't know. Like how? Like how, like Daddy once wrote a book. Yeah. How do you think? Because I mean, I guess the the other thing is that this book is gonna be dated in yeah. like six months. I know. But like, you don't think it'll be a classic? No. Just no. I mean, like, <laughs> more, like it's it's gonna be like the kind of thing where um, there's gonna be a resolution on yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great book. Like, it's a great <laughs> holiday gift. Um, but. I mean, I guess you can keep like doing like updated appendix, and it's true that like liars poker is is not about the present day, and it's still very fascinating to people. Yeah, um, someone was joking with me. Next one will be called. It'll be a sequel. It'll be Marissa Meyer, Girl on Fire, or something like, that. <laughs> like or was it like that, like the the Mockingjay or something? Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. What like what are, like what would you tell him about 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 this period of time and what you were up to? Well, I'll be like. Some I don't know. Why I said him. Like, so, so could I'll be, be a like, woman. Uh, yeah, exactly. Daughter, t- take off the virtual reality headset. Yeah. Come back to the flesh world. I have something to say to you. Yeah. Or actually, we'll just be like communicating inside VR. Yeah. And um, she'll have some sort of like transgendered alien avatar. Right. And we'll be speaking about the flesh world. Yeah. And no, actually, I don't. I don't know. But I, I actually am a. I like. I get made fun of this. I am sort of like a little bit of a techno utopian. Yeah. Like it's. I do think. Well, I don't know if it's all utopian. I definitely do think that there are going to be like crazy advances in technology, and that they're not stopping, and that everything is changing, and it's going to like make our brains hurt, and like things like you know family and nationality and race and creed might all be pushed to the side and changed and right it's it's weird i, I think i share that with you yeah. like and i get myself in trouble also i mean i think you're like it's a little more justified for you because you're like man if you weren't a little bit like optimist or utopian about this stuff your job would be a grind <laughs> so i don't really have but there an are some who are like that i've i've i've, I've, I've only read the description of matt honan's interview on long form but but apparently he likes just tearing it all down all the time yeah but Matt, but he's also like hanging around for the show, okay. you know, yeah. but like, I guess my question is like, so I, I'm also a little, like, I think I lean uto- a little utopian yeah. idealistic um, towards it, possibly just because I'm kind of like, uh, like hoping for that, mm-hmm. like that version. But I find that, that, that when I engage in that, it has to be kind of like ethics free. Like it, it's, yeah. it's almost like it's happening. Like who cares if it's good or bad? Like you don't say yeah. if it's good or bad. There's a lot of bad stuff. I mean, like it'll be, by the way, it'll be all those things with ads. Yeah. Right, right, and that and that's the kind of weird part is like when people are like, I'm like Uber so interesting, and people are like Uber so fucked up, and I'm like, oh, I hadn't really thought about whether it was fucked up, <laughs> fucked up or not when I said that, which is kind of what you said about yeah. writing this book, yeah. which is like I can't really take a, a stand on mm-hmm. pro or against Yahoo yeah. or these business decisions. Like, do you ever have like an internal? A moral or ethical compass that you turn off while you're doing this? It's funny that it probably this is probably an advantage yeah. for the things I do, but I don't like have a firm stand on a lot of things. I was talking about this with my wife, but maybe my firm stand is that I my firm stand is that things are nuanced. Right, the <laughs> world know? is complicated. Like things are. I'm I am a moderate, and I don't uh, I don't I see your point on this. Yeah, but we could still talk 
about things like Ferguson and Michael Brown and, and um, like, uh, by the way, Black Lives Matter, awful things that happened, complete tragedies, but I'm not the person on the street waving the flag because I can't, like, I'll sit there and I'll just, and I'm just, like, I can't just uh, take the total stance and say, like, I'm on Team X and I believe this list of things, period. Yes. You know? Yeah. I'm just not that person. I feel the same way. Yeah. But I'm always like, what would something cause me? You know, like I maybe so. it's because sometimes with this technology stuff, I'm like, I don't have a well, strong stand about, on how, this. How do you feel about Newtown? Like, I was like, guns yeah, are I, stupid as shit. We yeah, t- no, it's true. <laughs> like, I'm, I feel stronger about gun control than I feel about the regulation of the taxi cab industry. You know, and <laughs> yes, I think that's a, that's a defensible right. point. And I, it's almost like I don't want to like, u- like uh, use up my outrage yeah. on like people yeah. wearing Google Glass and bars, you know, like. <laughs> that's it, a really good point. Yeah. It's like, a, I feel like I have well to said. conserve it. And, but that's the weird thing about the technology industry is you're God. like, tech will, it'll make you feel like a curmudgeon if you feel anything but being a utopian in mm. a way. And I wonder, I think at my life at some point, I'm going to like turn the corner. Yeah. And I'm just going to be like angry at everything. <laughs> and I'm going to be like not into it. Cause that's like my father, my father does not have a cell phone. Wow. He was like a, a dude out in the seventies, like, like, following the Grateful Dead. Like wow. He was doing his thing. Yeah. I think at a certain point he was just like, fuck this shit. Yeah, like, that's the dream, I'm, man. I'm not, like, I'm into some things of this era. I do have that dream. And then he, like, like, stopped at a certain era. I do a little bit have that dream of just, like, unplugging and just being, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, does that, Pick like... the phone out of my pocket and I guess never put it back. We both, you have a stronger real reason for me that is, like, you, if you, like, really really hated this stuff and yeah. really had to unplug you'd be unemployed yeah I would I would I need to be around it <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's the input and then I turn it into output um, so the input's got to keep going in there's things you can turn off like I stop following certain people on Twitter or all like just just do you have any mentors or like contact with the kind of um, like OGs of the tech journalism game? You know, like Stephen Levy and these guys who've been in it for a yeah. long time. There aren't many of them. I mean, those guys are still yeah. only what like in their late forties. People, who, great. people who are covering it. I definitely keep up with Stephen for sure. Uh, uh, Brad Stone, Peter Kafka, Kara Swisher, Kara Swisher. There's your. Are, is there a lot of burnout? I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot of people like last multiple decades in, that in is technology the interesting reporting. Th- that's the thing that like Kara told me. I was like, "How are you so great?" She's like, "I've just been around a long time." Yeah, <laughs> is that like your strategy? <laughs> just like outlast? It everyone? seems to work. It's like I like the, the the bylines have just faded. Yeah, like people go, "I'm still here," and I'm like, "What, 32?" Yeah. So I'm like, "What?" Like I don't know. No, but it's been six years at BI, and then and then a year at Valleywag, and then two years at Internet News, and I'm like definitely the old man. You could be the Steve Jobs of internet news. <laughs> Go back and turn that place around. We're going to drop the dot com. Yeah. That's that, the big call. Yeah. That's the scene in the movie where you come in you're like, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that feels like as good a place to stop right. as any. Thank you cool. very much, Thank Nicholas you. Carlson. Um, this the is book, a dream of mine. Uh, tell, tell me what the book is uh, The book is called and when it's going to be on the newsstand. Marissa Meyer and the fight to save Yahoo. It'll be on bookshelves and Amazon and everything January 6th. And if you want a little preview of it, uh, check out New York Times Magazine. There's a really nice sort of adapted uh, piece from it. Yeah. We'll be back next week. And that was the Long Form Podcast. Uh, Thanks very much to my guest, Nicholas Carlson. Thanks to our editor, Jenna Weiss-Berman. My co-hosts, Max Linsky and Evan Ratliff. Uh, Thanks to our intern, Rachel Mabe. 
If you got a new iPhone or iPad for Christmas, maybe you'd like to put the long form app on it. It's totally free. Um, We really encourage you to check it out. It's chock full of writers who've been on this show. You can follow them. You can share articles you're loving with your friends, or you can take on a flight and have a whole flight's worth of entertainment without spending a nickel. Um, Let me know what you think of it. Uh, Aaron at longform.org or leave a review at iTunes. Be back here next week. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it. In the new docuseries Running Sucks brought to you by Teen Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Teen Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.